You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Today, as we kick off our series through the book of Acts, I want to remind you that the way that we want to do this as we go over the next few weeks, actually, as this book carries through the end of the year, that we're going to ask you to read a chapter of the Bible, just one chapter during the week. And what you're going to do is you'll read chapter one, for example, then I'll preach on it. Then our circle groups will unpack that as almost a sermon second half uh, in your circle groups as you gather, as you pray, as you fellowship with one another. It might be on Zoom. It might be online for you. But we want you to be able to be a part of a circle group. And then what we want you to do is the next week you read the next chapter. So through our social media, we'll remind you what chapter to be watching or to be reading each week. And then as we gather together here in church online and eventually as we gather together in person, that we'll have the opportunity then to look at the book and what God wants to teach us at such a time as this through the book of Acts. Earlier in the year, we looked at the book of Luke. And both the book of Luke and the book of Acts were written by the author Luke. And Luke has been commissioned by a man named Theophilus to go and investigate the claims of Jesus. So the whole book of Luke was investigating the life of Jesus. Who was Jesus? But now the book of Acts transitions to 13 lives dedicated to following Jesus. And that is what you and I are figuring out. How do we follow Jesus? How do we dedicate our life and our actions and ourself to Jesus more and more? And that's what actually people do when a parent either leaves or a parent dies. We begin to say, if you experience a death or a loss or a parent leaves, you begin to ask the question like, who am I going to be without the presence of my father or my mother? I've been there in over 11 years at this church. I've been there with you when some of you are actually in grief. And in your grief, you have cried out, I just need a dad. Or I, just, I still need a mom. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You do. One of the beautiful things about God is that he is a good father and that he is there even when our mortal parents pass on. But what happens for us is we evaluate our lives. We evaluate that change. Who am I going to be now that my parent is gone? How am I going to live my life the same or differently because a parent is somehow gone? And we begin to ask those questions. We begin to understand what does this new normal in my life look like? And frankly, that's what happens when people come to Christ. They begin to say, how do I now act in such a way? And how do I live in such a way as to please my heavenly father? What does a new normal in relationship with God look like? And in chapter one, there are about, at this time, about 120 to maybe 150 people who follow Jesus, people who would be known as his disciples. But literally by the end of chapter three in the book of Acts, there are 3,000 to 5,000. Then later in the book of Acts, tens of thousands of people to currently over a billion people who profess to be Christians worldwide. Think about that for a minute. A billion people who would say that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has led to forgiveness and freedom for them has made such an impact that it changes everything for me. A billion testimonies of people who would say the reality of the life of Jesus 
has made all the difference in the world for me, don't quickly overlook that fact. The Holy Spirit enters those who believe in Jesus Christ and his death, his resurrection, and that he offers forgiveness for our sin. The Holy Spirit comes into a believer. He makes us a new creation and it changes everything for us. The Holy Spirit changes me and changes how I act. I, I just gotta be honest with you for a moment. I can't imagine following a religion and following maybe a moral religion without the Holy Spirit. Like that would be impossible if it's left up to my own motivation or your own motivation or external motivation. Like it's just not gonna last. But praise God that he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we're always gonna feel that tension between what our flesh wants to do and the spirit that's drawing us to do what a good father would have us do. Acts means the actions of the apostles in the early church. That's what this book highlights, the action of these disciples. And that, in fact, is the problem. The problem is that some of you, as you're watching today, you know full well you're not acting on your faith. There's not actions that correspond to your claim of faith. You need to transition from being a spectator to being a participant in your walk with God. And here's why you need this sermon today. You follow God, not the other way around. You follow God, not God doing what you wanna do in your life, making your life as comfortable as you would like it to be. We follow God not the other way around. He doesn't just follow us around to do our bidding. Rather, we follow him. So what's gonna happen in the book of these actions, in the book of Acts, this book will challenge you and me to be fully devoted in your heart, sold out in your actions, and counting the cost of actually following Jesus as a disciple. So let's start with chapter one, verse one in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, will you read along with me? Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was with them, eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is incredibly interesting. And there were other interesting people. You look at John the Baptist that Jesus mentioned that he was out in the desert and John the Baptist was baptizing with water and, and John was an interesting guy. Like John wore camel hair outfits and he would baptize people and he ate locusts and, and honey while he was out in the wilderness and he, he was very interesting, he was very unique. But Jesus arguably, especially at the time of this writing, is the most interesting man alive. 
that Jesus, while John was baptizing people and eating strange things, Jesus rose people from the dead. Jesus healed people. Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of God as the son of God become flesh. God himself become flesh. He's the most interesting man alive. He was back then and he still is now. The problem is that some of you more know, know more about celebrities and sports and The Bachelor and the Kardashians than you do about Jesus. And what I want to tell you to do is as we've walked through the book of Luke and now as we walk through the book of Acts, to know all you can about Jesus, learn all you can about him. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's important for you and for me to learn all we can about him. You've got to get to know Jesus Christ personally. You need to be discipled. Maybe for you that's signing up for a circle group or being in our discipleship ministry at Sun Grove Church where you begin to walk with Jesus daily and live by the power of the Holy Spirit that God has put inside of you. So write this down if you're taking notes. God, I need you and I need to follow you. There's this duality that exists. It's both that God, I need you. And that's what people cry all the time. Like, God, I need you. But there's a, another side to that request. And the other hand of that is, but God, I also need to follow you. That God, as much as I desperately cry out for you and I say, God, I need you on days like today. God, I need you in times like these kind of times. God, I need you in tensions like these kind of tensions. God, I need you, but I also need to follow you. It's not just a need for God to do our bidding or what we want, but that we need to follow him. That's the tension of the disciple, our desperate need for God and our devoted following of God. He must become greater and I must become less. He is greater than I. Many people cry out and say, God, I need you. But the sad thing is they leave it right there. They leave it right there. They don't think they need to learn to keep in step with God's Holy Spirit and in the actions of the disciples, and the actions of their life and following God. Well, why? Many people want God without wanting to do what he says. And Jesus oftentimes told people directly, he asked them, why do you call me Lord? That statement of authority, that statement of you are I'm putting you up there. You're the Lord, the master, the ruler of my life. He's saying, why do you call me Lord, but do not do what I say. And that's what happens to many people. God, I need you, but they don't really think they need to follow him. And yet they want to be called the disciple. And there's a, a tension, and all of us feel that tension, that there are times in our lives where we feel like, God, in my flesh, I, I feel prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. But thank goodness for the Holy Spirit who draws me back and as I respond to him, I begin again, I come back to God. I begin to walk with him and do what he would have me do. In Acts chapter one, beginning with verse six, what happens is Jesus has been dead, buried, rose to new life. And right now Luke is describing what happened in those days before Jesus ascended into heaven. And in Luke or Acts chapter one, verse six, it says they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Ask where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus ascends to heaven in this moment. So it's amazing as we begin to look at this, the disciples ask a question that people ask all the time. They ask this question, Lord, you've died, you've conquered death, like there's no stopping you. So are you at this time, gonna, are you gonna restore the glory to the nation of Israel? Are you gonna kick the Romans out? Are you gonna fix our leadership messes? Are you gonna help this, this culture come together under the banner of Israel? God, are you gonna do this at this time? Like, seems like there's nothing stopping you. Are you gonna do it at this time? And Jesus replies, just very honestly, he replies, you know what, it's not really for you to know the time. However, you will be my witnesses. And then he drops the mic and he ascends to heaven. One of the most important things Jesus told us was the last thing he said. You will be my witnesses. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Jesus answers most prayers with, you will be my witnesses. People misunderstand this, that God called you to be a disciple. He never actually called you to be a Christian. He, he always in scripture, the call was to discipleship, be my disciple, be one who follows the Christ. And then early in the early church, people started referring to those who were followers of Jesus as Christians, as ones who followed Christ. But the call has always and forever been that you and I be disciples of Jesus. And the disciple, according to Jesus, always becomes his witness. That's what a disciple does. They witness. So what do witnesses do? People think witnessing is some like really organized description of presenting the gospel to a lost person. That's not what it means by be my witness. Be my witness means that in every situation, in every season, you're going to tell people about Jesus. You're gonna tell them about what God has done. Not what about you have done, but what God has done in your life. You're gonna be his witness in all the things that you experience, in all the seasons that you go on. You tell others about Jesus. So you tell your event of what happened. Just like at an accident scene, if the, if the investigator was asking you a question, each witness would give their account of what they perceive happened. You and I are to give our account of what God has done in our lives and who Jesus is. That's the job of a disciple. But what happens is, when you and I feel like we're in need, we cry out to God. But in 2,000 years, since the disciples asked this very well-intentioned question, in 2,000 years since they asked that question of Jesus, and he says, you'll be my witnesses, he drops the mic and he leaves and goes back up into heaven, you and I haven't changed that much. That we still ask God the same kind of question. You say, well, what do you mean, Dave? Like, how does that question work out? What are you talking about? All the time people are asking this, God, at this time, are you going to and then they have an expectation. And sometimes it's born out of a very real need. And so they pray, they come before God and they ask a desperate prayer, God, I need you. 
and I need to follow you. I understand that, but God, I need you, and I have a question, and so your question might be this. Lord, at this time, are you going to heal my cancer? And God often replies, you will be my witness. In chemotherapy, you'll be my witness. In radiation, among your friends, when you don't know what the future holds, when you're fearful, when you walk through this transition, this health crisis in your life, you will be my witness. You're like, God, I wanna know. I wanna know the dates. I wanna know the times. I wanna know if I'm gonna be healed. And he says, you will be my witness. People ask this, are you at this time going to restore my marriage? Are you gonna fix it? And God says, you will be my witness. People ask, are you at this time going to introduce me to my future spouse? Is this the year, God? Like it seems like a very good idea that this would be the year. And then God will answer our question with, you will be my witness. God, at this time, are you going to let my candidate win the election? You will be my witness, he says. Are you at this time going to end racism so it never happens again? He's gonna say, in the midst of those tensions, you will be my witness. Am I, God, going to win this lawsuit or am I gonna win this trial that's in front of me? And he says, you will be my witness. God, at this time, are you gonna answer why my parent passed away or why we miscarried? I think sometimes God's just gonna say, you're gonna be my witness in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that loss. What I call my disciples to do is be my witness of my presence and my peace and my care in your life. In fact, I want you to gather and understand that, to write it down, to think about it, to work with me, because the day comes when you will take your sorrow and you will comfort others with the comfort you yourself have received from God. Why does he comfort us? So we can share that comfort with others. Why do we share that comfort with others? Because we will be his witnesses. And of course, there's lots of you who will ask, I mean, the world has just gone nuts, it's gone crazy. And people ask all the time, pastor, hey, um, do you think this is the end times? Do you think that like Jesus has come back soon? Do you think this is the end times? I think what Jesus says is, um, you're gonna be my witnesses. The time is not for you to know. The hour, the season is not for you to know. No one knows but the father. And until then, until further notified, you and I will be his witnesses. And of course, people are all gonna ask right now, well, Lord, are you at this time going to let my people go back to church in the great state of California? And then God is saying, be my witnesses right where you are until we can gather again. Be my witnesses in all these seasons, in every time. What do you think Jesus is gonna say? He's gonna answer so many prayers with, you will be my witnesses and it's so interesting to me that the very thing that the disciples asked in that moment was, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom? And they're thinking the kingdom of God, but are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he turns around and says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and in Samaria, in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And I think he would say to people like you and me who are in California waiting to come back to church, he would say, listen, you will be my witnesses in Elk Grove, in the Sacramento region, in the great state of California and to the ends of 
of the earth be my witnesses. We haven't come that far. But the difference is this. What you and I are going to see over the next weeks as we study the book of Acts is that from this moment forward, the disciples by their actions begin to follow Jesus and they never look back to those immature questions again. That they follow Jesus and they never look back, even though for some of them, it led to them losing their lives. They're changed. The Holy Spirit comes to them and they know from that mindset, from that moment, that they're gonna be kingdom-minded for the rest of their lives. And what I find right now for so many people is that they're political party-minded or they're race-minded or they're minded by their wants and their desires and their background and their sociology. And what I'm asking, I think what Jesus is asking you and me is, will you be my witness? Will you move from self-interest and will you move to being the witness witness of God, will you move from your kingdom and will you make my kingdom great? Will you move in that way? In other words, God might say, whether I do what you prefer or not, you will tell others about me. It's always human for us to ask, God, will you do it? And will you, will you work things out the way that I think best? And sometimes when we don't get that answer, then what do we do as humans? We negotiate with God. God, literally, like, hey, listen, listen to this plot idea. I got a greatest story ever. If you answer my prayer this way, then think, God, think for a moment, what a great story that will be for you, for your kingdom. All the while, it might be proud. It might be a little self-serving. And I think God just comes back gently to say, my disciples, they're gonna be my witnesses. And I think we run into this strange idea we run into this idea that, God, if you'll just do what I want, then people will believe in you more because I can tell them that you did what I want you to. But I find that people actually believe in God more when you and I are authentic. And when we say, you know what? Yeah, I don't know if I'll get healed from the cancer. I don't know if this will happen. I don't know why that happened. But what I know is that God loves me. He's good. And here's what he's been teaching me about myself. And here's how good he was to forgive me of my sin. That even if I were to die of this cancer, that I will be in his presence, free from my body of death. And it would be better for me to be there if I can't be here. People believe that authenticity much, much more. So we say, Lord, I need you and I need to follow you. And Lord, I need you and I need to be your witness. Well, how do you and I become his witness? Well, I want to suggest to you that you, if you're taking notes today, be fueled by the Holy Spirit. Be fueled. Our culture is fueled by energy drinks, right? Coffee, Rockstar, Monster, and Red Bull. Like we are fueled. We're just trying to keep going because we're at a high pace. And those, those energy drinks are just kind of helping us. But I want you to know something that Red Bull was actually invented. It was created for marathon runners. It wasn't created for people to just drink it every day. That it was created for that unique time, that unique moment when the body requires on all of its resources to draw energy and it needs a little something extra. And that's why they created Red Bull, but it had such a popularity to it that they thought we can market this and make it for every day. Why? Why do we get fueled by all these energy drinks? Because humans 
are tired. We're tired. And humans need fuel. But you and I were created to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. We were created to be refreshed, to experience soul care as we spend time with God, as we are led by the Spirit, as we are fueled by the Spirit, as we are filled by the Spirit. And we see it in these disciples who go from, hey, Jesus, are you at this time going to make Israel just this awesome nation to being God's witnesses to the ends of the earth, even if it meant they were martyred? Paul writes in Philippians chapter one, as he's in dire circumstances, he writes this, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, which has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. Let me just mention it right there. He says, through your prayers and God has provided his Holy Spirit. He goes on and says this in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I'll have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And people have popularized that statement all the time. Oh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But they don't realize that it comes out of Paul in his most dire circumstances saying, listen, I want to be a kingdom glorifying witness of Jesus Christ. And whether that happens through the death of my body or through living and being a spoken witness of Jesus, either way, I want to honor Christ. Your soul and my soul responds to the Holy Spirit of God if we'll take the time to slow down and to breathe Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand the scriptures, how these scriptures apply to your life and how they apply to the circumstances in which you live. Without God's Holy Spirit, you and I become like a wave where you're tossed by like a river, you're out on the river and the wind starts coming up, that delta breeze and the waves start hitting the river and the current is working against you and maybe you're trying to kayak and paddle and if you don't have God's Holy Spirit, then you're like a wave on the river. Sometimes you're peaceful, but other times you're terrified and most times you're confused about the rapidly changing time in your life. And one of the beautiful things about Jesus Christ is that God's Holy Spirit comes inside us when we put our faith and trust in him. Those who've humbly given their lives and their eternal destiny to Jesus Christ, then God's Holy Spirit makes his home in you. He creates in you a new heart. He will strengthen you. He will guide you. He will fuel you. He will help you understand the scriptures. He'll bring peace and wisdom and direction and purpose in all the times of your life. And let me just say something about the Holy Spirit. Because as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see a lot about the Holy Spirit. And people all across, you know, the history of time have projected a lot about the Holy Spirit. And they'll say that this is when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. This is when you have the expression of the Holy Spirit. But what we see in scripture time and again is this. That when you're full of the Holy Spirit, God doesn't make you an idiot. There's enough of those out there. He doesn't make you crazy when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The one person in the Gospels who was constantly filled with the Holy Spirit was Jesus. And in Luke 4, verse 1, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. In Luke 4, 14, it tells us that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And guess what happened? 
The news about Jesus spread everywhere. The spirit fills and fuels you and me and we spread the news about Jesus. Be filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit. So we say, Lord, I need you and I need to follow you. Lord, I need you and I need to be your witness. And Lord, I need you and I need to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Acts chapter one, verse 14 tells us they gathered together in prayer. They gathered together in prayer. In Acts 1.14, it said they all joined together constantly in prayer. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive. They gathered together in prayer. And this is the great challenge for modern believers. To gather together and to pray. And when Christians really believe, they gather. But when they doubt and they fear, they scatter. When you say, or you have a friend say, you know, I'm just taking a break from the church. You're really saying, I'm just taking a break from Jesus. Guys, let let me tell you a little secret if you're dating. When that woman says to you, I just really think we need a break, what she's actually saying is, I just need a break from you. That's what she's actually saying. That's what she's literally saying. And I think all too often people want to be in judgment of the church. All too often people want to be in the church to judge the church instead of being in the church to be the church and be his witnesses. And there's all too much judgment that's happening against the church in our culture. There's a whole generation of young, angry, reformed people who want to sit in judgment on the church more than being his witnesses. And we want to be the kind of people who are known for what we're for more than known for what they might be against. And the world often hears what you're against. And when the church is against the church, the world can't hear what we're trying to say. So gather together. For a lot of us, that's online right now. You're doing online church. Gather together in person and pray. And I would encourage you to start a watch party. My heart so much, if I, if I could describe it at all for you, is this. Before we gather together, I am asking you as your pastor to invite your neighbors, to invite your friends, invite people that maybe normally wouldn't even come to church, but you gather together on Sundays and you watch church online together. Would you allow your relationships with others to be his witness? We don't want to come back together the same. We want to come back together changed. We want to come back together with people who have never experienced what it's like to gather as a church, but they've experienced what it's like to be the church as they gathered with you in your house or in your apartment or your flat or out at a park. And you watch church online and you begin to let them know what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to tell you, if you're a believer, you need to gather in a place where you pray. And all too often I hear people who are believers say this, hey, hey, I don't, uh, I don't think you understand, Pastor. Um, I, I don't pray out loud. I don't pray with other people. I, it's, it's very private. I don't pray with other people. And I think that when sometimes you get intimidated to pray with other people, it's because you forget that you're praying to God and you're actually praying for them. 
you're praying to them to impress them. You're worried about that. You're worried about using the right words. You're worried about saying the right thing. And what happens is the believers gathered to pray. They didn't gather to have very holy, awesome, amazing prayers. They just gathered to be authentic and talk to God. And what I want to suggest to you is don't hide behind the I don't pray with other people excuse. Because what a disciple does is they're his witness. What a disciple does is that they gather together and they learn as they're gathering together just how to pray and be authentic. Be real with God. Be in a place where you can pray with other disciples. Now, as we're walking through the book of Acts, there's one thing I want to address because it's very important for us to understand who are the different parties who are playing a role in the launch of the early church. And one of the roles that was described in the early church are the apostles. And people get confused all the time. Well, who are the apostles? And what are the apostles? And what do they do? And what I want to let you know is that there were only... 13 apostles, and that's it. Just 13. There were 12 disciples, but then it was minus Judas because he hung himself after he denied Christ and after he betrayed Christ. Then he was replaced through prayer by the other apostles with a guy named Matthias. And then Paul was called directly by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And here's what all 13 of these apostles had in common. They had to be eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus. In order to have the title apostle, you with your own eyes had to visually see Jesus alive, see his death, see his resurrection. You had to be an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. These 13 men were authorized to be the decision makers in the launch of the early church. So any modern person who wants to use the, the title apostle really has in mind their own kingdom and sadly not God's kingdom. Only 13. Everybody else is just a disciple. There were only 13 apostles, but there were hundreds who were following Christ in the early church's disciples, then thousands, then tens of thousands as it moved worldwide. So we're called disciples. And what do disciples do? Disciples gather together to pray. So Lord, I need you. And I need to gather with others and pray. So God, I need you. And I need to follow you. God, I need you. And I need to be your witness. God, I need you. I need to be fueled by your Holy Spirit. God, I need you. And I need to gather and pray. This is the new normal for the disciple. You follow God not the other way around. So the question is, are you? Are you a disciple? Are you a fan or are you a follower? If you're a follower, if you're a disciple, then you will be my witnesses. You'll be fueled by the Holy Spirit. You'll gather with other believers and pray together. That might be in a circle group. It might be in a small group. It might be in discipleship. It might be that you call a prayer meeting. But so often it starts out with, the cry to God, God, I need you. And I want you to know if you're feeling that right now, like, God, I just need you. You've been feeling that in this time uh, together online. If you've been feeling that in the coming weeks, we had a person write in just a week ago and say, I'm ready to give my life to God. And if that's you right in this moment, I want you to know that you are invited by God to give your life to Jesus. And if that's you with your heads bowed, maybe your eyes closed, just 
talking to God honestly, if you're even silent and talking to him, he hears you. But maybe right where you are, you just pray something like this, just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross, that you were buried, that you rose to new life, that you were God. And I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. Fuel me, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be your disciple because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, wherever you are, you are a new creation in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. They're washed away. You're white as snow. You no longer have to fear death. Even if you got sick or you got some illness or you got in an accident that you know upon the moment where our mortal bodies are finished, you know where you'll go. And we rejoice with you. We rejoice. Uh, and there's rejoicing in heaven. And we're so proud. Would you let us know in the comments when you make that decision? We're so glad that you're with us. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.